Jesus, keep me from all wrong. Oh, I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to Thee. Oh, just a closer walk with Thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. world of toils and snares. If I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but Thee, dear Lord, oh, none but Thee, oh, Closer walk with thee, my Lord. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be, let it be. Thank you, Aaron, excuse me, Aaron, for setting our hearts for worship this morning. Welcome, First Church, and welcome to those listening on the radio. A few announcements um, this morning. Uh, today, Pastor Joel will begin a new sermon series. There are booklets at the entrances for those who like to take notes along with his sermon and study on those. Uh, we're still taking cookbook pre-orders. Books are $15 and will be available before Mother's Day. In two weeks is Mother-Daughter Friend Evening. The evening is free this year. Please see the bulletin for a list of items you can donate for the week. we got a couple items. Uh, first, uh, our choir director has, a, has an announcement, and then Pastor Joel has something to share with us. On behalf of the adult and bell choirs, I would like to cordially invite you to a benefit luncheon next Sunday 
April the 30th, from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. here at the Ministry Center next door at First Church for Mr. Nick Bishong. Nick is, anxiously secret, <clears throat> excuse me. Nick is anxiously seeking an accurate diagnosis and cure for his medical condition, and all proceeds next Sunday will go to defray his financial needs. Nick is the son-in-law of our Robin Sharon Cheney, and Sharon has become a cherished member of our musical family here at First Church. The choirs will be serving you hot ham, potatoes, vegetables, bread, an array of homemade salads and desserts, and any monetary contributions next week will go to Nick and his family and all of their needs since the food is all being donated. Carryouts are also available. If you're listening on the radio, you are welcome. First Church is easy to find. We're one short city block west of the one and only red light in the little friendly town of New Knoxville, Ohio. Come in on a state highway, turn west at the red light, one block, right there we are. Won't you join us next week? From 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., lunch will be on us. Good food, good friends, and a good family to help out in their time of need. In Matthew it says, when you do it to the least of these, one of my brethren, you do it unto me. Thank you, Eric. Uh, definitely a, a great cause, so hopefully you'll all be able to join us next week for that. Uh, another thing I'd like to share with you this morning, this one's a little bit further out. Uh, if you remember, uh, uh, several weeks ago, um, I mentioned an opportunity for a mission trip to Germany. Uh, that I, I said at the time that things were still kind of fluid and in the works. Well, this week uh, we were contacted by the 3C Project, uh, which is the same group that several of our church members went and, and supported last year. Um, and they are looking and hoping for a group to join them in September uh, for a work project. And so we are beginning to form a group uh, that's going to be traveling to Germany uh, to help uh, continue the project that they've been working on, the construction of this ministry center uh, uh, there in, in Kusel, Germany. And so if you're interested uh, about finding out more details or, or, or are interested in going with us on the trip, uh, you can talk, contact Connie Schreer in the church office. She's kind of coordinating in the contact person. Uh, the tentative dates at this point are September 9th through 17th um, uh, with the day of travel, you know, in each end. That'll give us about a week there in Germany to, to help them on this project. Uh, one of the, the wonderful things about this project is that uh, the, our host church that we'll be supporting uh, provides the food and lodging for the whole week while, while we're there. So uh, the cost on our end for those who want to go and attend is, is basically just airfare and any spending money that you want to bring with you. So that could definitely be a, um, uh, an encouragement to those that, that know that, that a trip like this usually is quite expensive. That is definitely going to help keep the cost low. Um, the, the max group that they can take is about 10. That's mo the most that they can house. Um, so if you are interested, uh, please let us know as soon as you can so we can get, uh, get the accommodations all, all figured out and, and travel all figured out as well. So, uh, like I said, Connie Schreer in the church office is, is your contact person and she's be more than happy to fill you in on, on more details if you're interested. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for sharing that with us. Would you rise? And join me in the call to worship, which is taken from the book of Psalms. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. In our anguish, we cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting us free. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The Lord is our strength and our song. He has become our salvation. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. We will not die, but live 
and will proclaim that he that the Lord has done. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now let us sing our song of praise this morning in Christ alone.
Good morning. Oh, I don't think the congregation was much better. Good morning. There we go. Would you like to see a miracle? Huh? Would you like to see me? You don't know what that is? It's when something happens that we don't think can really happen. I saw a magician and, shoot, I forgot a piece of paper. Do you have some of your sermon notes there I could borrow? Okay. Is this the only page? We're out by 9.30 today. All right. Well, this, this magician, he folded the paper in half, and he folded it in half again, like this, and then he tore it, and tore, well, you think that's funny? That means we're out by 9.15, and we, he tore it again, well, maybe, and he tore it again. And he put it in his hands. Now say with me, hocus pocus. Oh, you got to do it harder than that. Yeah. Uh-oh. What happened? I ripped it, and it didn't go back together, did it? I think I was spoofed on the television. Don't you? Sorry, Pastor Joel. You'll make. He'll make it. <laughs> Well, you know, this may not have worked the way we wanted it, but you know what a real miracle was? And we celebrated it last week. Many, many years ago, Jesus Christ was put on the cross. His body was broken and blood was spilled. After Christ died, they put him inside a tomb. And what did they roll in front of the tomb? A great big rock. So he couldn't get out or nobody could get in. The body of Christ was in that cave for how many days? Three days. But on the third day, a real miracle happened and he arose from the dead. God brought Jesus back to life. Because of this miracle, we know Jesus is the son of God and is with us now and forever This is indeed a miracle worth celebrating. The miracle of Christ rising again and God's love, mercy, and grace. So even though Pastor Joel's notes are here on the floor, I'm sure God will speak to his heart today and tell us what we need to know to be like Jesus. Let's fold our hands and pray. Dear God, Thank you for bringing Jesus back to life. It is a miracle we're celebrating. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. I'll figure something out for later. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done and continue to do through your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for this reminder of the good news of, of his resurrection That when he died on the cross for our sins, he didn't stay there. He didn't stay in the grave, but is alive today, uh, which gives us this opportunity to pray and and for you to hear our prayers this morning, knowing that he is alive and he is able to hear us uh, and he is able to you are able to answer our prayers through him. Uh, So, Lord, we we pray to you now and lift up all those in our community, in our church who are in need. 
Uh, We pray that your provision would be there. We pray for your healing where it's needed. And we pray, Lord, through every situation that you would make yourself known, that you would be present, and that you would uh, help them, give them what they need to get through these difficulties in their lives. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness even when we are unfaithful. We thank you for your love and your mercy even when we don't deserve it. Uh, And Lord, we are reminded of that, especially uh, with during this Easter season uh, with your death and resurrection. And so we pray all these things in Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I would invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Our offering this morning is going to support the Salvation Army in Lima, Ohio. And Adam Rohrbaugh will be sharing some special music while the offering is being taken up. Ah! 
Please remain standing. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He has saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, if you'll please turn in your blue hymnal to number 210, we'll sing Jesus Paid It All.
may be seated. Before we jump into our, our sermon today, I just want to take a moment and, uh, and just once again thank you all for, for your participation and your service and your help during our Holy Week uh, services. I know there's a, a note in the bulletin, but I just want to just highlight that again. Um, I know, you know, we couldn't have done this without all of you who put so much time and effort and planning into those services, whether it was uh, Maundy Thursday, uh, the choir, the joint choir uh, with, with the Methodist Church here in town on Friday night and the youth on Sunday morning, and, and the men who cook breakfast. I mean, there's there's a whole list of people that we could thank, um, and, I, and we hope we kind of covered all those categories in that thank you uh, in the bulletin. But uh, I know I'm just so appreciative. Um, it was my first Holy Week uh, here at, at New Knoxville, uh, my first Holy Week as a senior pastor, having to be part of that leading and planning through the time, and, and I just think things went uh, so well, and, and we couldn't have done it without you. So thank you to everyone who was involved and, and participated in that. And even even more importantly, I feel like we, we really gave God glory and, and were able to, to honor him during that time. So thank you for everyone who was a part of that and, and making that happen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, uh, we are so grateful uh, for, for all that you've done, all you are doing, and all that you will do uh, through your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, as we um, continue on this theme of, of resurrection, as we continue to, to explore its, its impact and its meaning for our lives, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds uh, to what you have to say to us. Uh, give me words to speak, and, and may, you, uh, may our focus be on you this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, Carolyn had a, had a wonderful uh, children's church message. Thankfully, I have an iPad with me this morning, so I think we'll be all right. Uh, but what a, what a great what a great message uh, that went right along and, and continues the theme of Easter. Um, I know I know Easter is a, a very important day on the church calendar. Of course, it's a very important uh, for for obvious reasons. It's the day we celebrate Christ's resurrection. That that when He died for us on the cross, uh, He paid for our sins. Uh, but His resurrection was proof that that, that sacrifice was valid. It was proof that, that through his death and through his resurrection, he has now uh, opened up the doors to eternal life for, for all who put their trust in him. Um, and, and we celebrate that on Easter. And I think, like I mentioned, I think we did a pretty good job celebrating that and, and, and remembering that uh, through our Holy Week services, and especially Easter Sunday. Uh, but that's something that we should not just celebrate one day a year. His resurrection uh, is the foundation of our faith. His resurrection impacts us for more than just some special services one week out of the year. It, it impacts everything we do and everything that we are as, as people, as his children, and as, as Christ followers. And so uh, over the next uh, six weeks, we're going to continue to explore that theme of, of how his death and resurrection impacts our lives and, and the changes that take place within us uh, and how we relate to God, how we relate to others, how we relate to the world, um, how his death and resurrection impacts and changes all of that. And so we're going to be looking at a different different aspect of that each week, but we're going to continue to build on on the importance and the meaning of his resurrection. Last week, I I read a, a couple verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is uh, a, a quite a long chapter. Uh, it's got almost 60 verses in there. And it deals almost exclusively with the idea of Christ's resurrection and the, and the impact that it has for believers. And, and at the start of this, this chapter on the resurrection, uh, Paul writes this, beginning in verse 3. 
He says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. He's talking about the message of his gospel, the, the, the message that he has been preaching and continues to preach in his ministry and the central message of, of, of the gospels and the central message of, of, the, of God's word. Uh, it's, this, is, this is the message that is of first importance. Uh, and he says this, continuing in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, that after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them who are, most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared also to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Uh, notice here that Paul says the most important thing about the gospel, the most important thing about our faith is that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. That's the foundation of what we do. That's the foundation of, of our faith and our beliefs and our trust in the Lord is his death and his resurrection. That is of first importance. And notice here, he, he doesn't just say this in, in hypothetical terms. He talks about the eyewitnesses that, that saw Jesus alive. This wasn't just a story they made up, right? As we talked about last week, this was, there was evidence there. There was eyewitnesses to this event. Uh, and, and notice here, I think it's interesting. You know, first Corinthians was written within a generation, uh, within, uh, yeah, generation of, of Christ's death and resurrection. In fact, he says here, many of the people who witnessed Christ, Many of the people who witnessed him being alive after his death are still alive today. So in other words, he's saying, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. Right? So, so there's proof there. There's, there's confidence that we can have in the truth of his resurrection. And then the verse I read for us last week uh, is just a reminder. If this is not true, if Christ's resurrection really didn't take place, uh, then, our, then our faith is more than useless. It says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So in other words, if that's not true, if Christ's resurrection didn't happen, then, it, then none of this matters. None of what we're doing here, none of what we did last week has of, is of any significance or any importance if that's not true. But if it is true, it's everything. It's the foundation of our faith. It's, it's of such importance that, that nothing else in all of human history, nothing else in all of creation is as important as that one event. And so an event like that, an event of that much significance, if it's the foundation of our beliefs and our faith and, and, and the proof that we can trust in the Lord for those things, then it's going to impact our lives, isn't it? It's going to have an impact on how we relate to, to God, how we relate to others, and how we relate to the world. And so that's why I think it's important for us to continue this theme of, of resurrection and trying to live out our lives as resurrection people. What I mean by that is, is lives that are defined by the reality of his death and his resurrection. In Romans 8.11, Paul, Paul says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Let me look at that at the surface level and think, okay, I know the Holy Spirit is with me. Like That's comforting. That's great. But, but think about what Paul's saying in this passage. The spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in us. That's pretty significant, isn't it? If he's the one, if God himself is within us through his Holy Spirit, that should impact our lives. That should bring about changes 
so that we become more like him and begin to live lives that are that are honoring and pleasing to him that are more in line with with his word and his character and his his love and his mercy and his grace that he has put on display through Christ. And that's how we're able to do it, too. It's it's not in our own power. It's through what he does or has done through us on the cross for us on the cross and what he continues to do in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so today we are looking at the change that takes place going from works to grace. And what I mean by that is, is through what Christ has done for us on the cross, through his death and resurrection, through the reality of the spirit living in us, we no longer have to earn our way into God's family. We no longer have to earn our salvation. We no longer have to earn our acceptance. But God has demonstrated that he has accepted us through Christ and through what he's done for us on the cross. I think so often we try to base God's love and his acceptance of us on what we do. We need to earn our keep. We need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps in order for God to really love us or really care for us or to save us. And I think there's three ways that we see this uh, coming out uh, in our own lives. I think sometimes we feel like we need to clean up our act before we can come to God. Right? That we need to somehow fix ourselves before God will really love us or care for us or, or accept us. And so we try to clean up our, our act. Uh, the person, a person like this believes that good works are necessary, but they don't have the right kind of good works that are going to qualify them to be a part of, of God's kingdom. And so they need to change things about themselves before God will truly love them. And if you think about it, it's kind of strange. It's the same idea of, of feeling like you need to heal yourself before you go to a doctor. Right? If you're physically sick, if you're ill, you don't fix yourself and then go to the doctor. You go to the doctor in order to be healed, in order to be taken care of, in order to get what you need to be made well. Same idea with Christ. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to remove our sin from our lives before we come to the Lord. He does that for us through his death and his resurrection, through what his spirit working in us. He will work on that in our lives. We don't need to heal ourselves. We don't need to fix ourselves. We don't need to save ourselves before coming to Christ. Another way that the, the idea of works comes up in our lives is that we feel like we, that if we're a good or moral person, God must love us. That we, that our works, our good deeds will, will earn our place in God's family. And, and we do this often by comparing ourselves to others, don't we? We think, well, I'm better than that guy. Or I'm not nearly as bad of a person as, as, as him or her. And so we look at others and we kind of grade ourselves on a curve. Right, So God must love us because we're better than those other people. Not that we're perfect by any means, right? but we, we definitely are scoring higher on the test than these other people. See, the problem with that idea is that there is a standard, that God does look at our lives and, and we are measured up against another person, but it's not the person in the pew sitting next to you. It's not your parents or your siblings or your children. It's Christ. He's the comparison. He's the, the standard that we are being measured against. And if that's the case, none of us have any hope of passing, right? None of us have any hope of, of passing that test. If God does grade on a curve and Christ is the standard, he's going to break that curve every time. And so, so we feel like we are, we are good, our good deeds, that we are a good person, will somehow earn, our, earn God's love, but, but that also falls short. 
But there's a third thing as well. We also think uh, that that our deeds have disqualified us from being uh, accepted into God's family. And that's kind of the opposite of the last one. We feel like we have done so many bad things. We have sinned so greatly or so grievously that God couldn't possibly love someone like me. And so we, so we disqualify ourselves from God's family based on how we live and the deeds and the actions of our lives. And all three of these situations, what they do is they assume that we participate, we contribute to our own salvation through our works, through how we live. We feel like good works can earn it for us. We feel like bad works, the, the, the sin in our lives disqualify us. And we also may think that we need to change our works. We need to change how we're living uh, before God will accept us. They all, the, the one thing, the one thread that's running through all of those, uh, those situations is that it's on us. It's dependent on us. It's dependent on what I do in order to be accepted by God. And I think we, we think in these terms because we want to simplify things, right? We want to make life easy for us. And so if we can, we think that our salvation is based on our works and how we live and, and all of those things, then it, then it makes life understandable and easy, right? I just have my to-do list and I just check off the boxes as I go. And if I have enough boxes checked off, then God must love me, right? It, it, it brings a simplicity to life in that way. But when we, and when we base our lives off of salvation based on our works and not what Christ has done for us, it brings a sense of control to our lives. We feel like we are in charge, that we have somehow figured it all out. And if we can wrap our minds around it in that way, then, then it brings some sort of, uh, I would say, a false sense of control to our lives. Allie's a teacher, and I'm sure she's heard this plenty of times this year. But I, I remember, <coughs> excuse me, I remember saying it myself on several occasions, sitting in a classroom as a teacher's going through a lesson, and the students look and say, is this question going to be on the test? Right? They don't really care about what's happening. They don't really care about what they're learning. All they're concerned about is whether that's going to be on the test or not, whether they have to study for it, whether they have to prepare for it, whether they have to even be paying attention in the moment anyways, Right? Because as soon as you say it's not going to be on the test, they've checked out. Uh, but what matters is not, when, when, we, when we think about salvation in terms of works, when we think about uh, trying to wrap our minds around it in that way, in essence, we're asking God, is this going to be on the test? Do I really have to worry about this? Do I really have to put effort and, or, or all of these things into, into this life? We think that if we can just figure it out and if everything's based on what we do, then we can somehow you know, game the system and, and, and get it all figured out in our favor. But this isn't just something that, that is an issue with, with non-Christians. It's something that uh, Christians themselves fall back into uh, from time to time. As followers of Jesus, we need to constantly remind ourselves of grace because that is not how the world works. The world works on works-based salvation. The world works on this idea of you take care of you, you do your thing, and you earn your keep. And so as Christians, we need to be reminded of grace. We need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel again and again and again because we can be very forgetful. Pastor Steve, the, the pastor I worked with at my last church, he often said that, that our problem as humans is that we have leaky memories. 
that we often forget what God has done for us in the past. We often forget the truth of the gospel. And so we need to be reminded over and over again. We need that repetition to speak truth into our lives so that we don't forget, so that we don't fall back into this idea of earning our own salvation, but that we can, uh, we can look to the, the truth of the gospel and rely on grace instead of our works. See, we never outgrow the simple truths of the gospel because of our natural tendency is to depend on ourselves. So that's why we need to be reminded of that over and over again. And so if works is not the way to go, if that's kind of our old mindset and, 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 and frame of mind, the change that takes place is we need to move from works then to grace. Grace is defined in the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. I'm sure that's on all of your bookshelves. Uh, by as unmerited favor of God toward man. It's unmerited. It's unearned. God doesn't need to give it to us. We haven't done anything to deserve it, and yet he extends it to us anyways. It's the favor that he extends to us, even though we don't deserve it. Again, Pastor Steve, uh, I worked with him for six and a half years, so I guess I picked up a few things. But he used to say, grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's getting what you don't deserve. On the flip side of that, mercy is not getting what you do deserve, right? What we deserve based on our works is not salvation but condemnation, right? That's what we've earned for ourselves through sin, through, through the decisions we've made, right? Through our actions, through our thoughts, through our deeds. But yet God extends mercy to us. He, he doesn't give us what we do deserve, and he extends grace to us by giving us what we don't deserve. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what Christ did for us on the cross, is he gave us exactly what we don't deserve and that's forgiveness that's salvation that's uh that's that's that relationship with him that we can have this idea of grace it really is it's unique to christianity if you were to look at all the religions in the world if you were to look at uh faith systems from from human history from the beginning of time till now christianity is unique in its emphasis on grace christianity is unique in that no other religion puts such a priority on divine grace. In that sense, Christianity is, stands alone, that we don't need to earn our salvation, but it's based on what Christ has done for us. And grace is conditional. Oh, excuse me. We believe that grace is conditional. We believe that we need to earn it, and therefore we can lose it based on what we do and how we live. But what we see in the New Testament, what we see throughout Scripture, is that grace, what God extends to us through Christ, is unconditional. It is not dependent on us or what we do. It's completely dependent on what God has done for us through Christ. Grace says it doesn't matter what you, uh, what you have done, good or bad. Salvation is made possible and freely available through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we can learn from these passages that Jake read for us earlier. And then I want to uh, just remind us of, since uh, they're, they're shorter, and, and we're going to be taking a look at these in more uh, detail uh, for the rest of the passage. So I just want to remind you of what Paul is saying in these passages. Uh, the first one is from Second Timothy. The other is from Titus. These are both uh, what are known as the pastoral epistles. They're letters that Paul wrote to, to these two individuals, Timothy and Titus, who were serving as, as pastors in churches. And so Paul is writing them to encourage them, to, to, to teach them, to admonish them. And, and, and one of the themes that runs through all, all of these letters is the grace of God. 
that salvation is not dependent on ourselves, but it's dependent on Christ. And so just a reminder, 2 Timothy 1, 9-10 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then the passage from Titus says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And for the remainder of our time, I just want to point out how we can see this transition from from salvation by works and transitioning then to, to the idea of salvation by grace and how it's clearly spelled out here for us. Like I said, this is not a, a theme that's unique to just these few verses, but it's one that runs throughout Scripture. Uh, we just see it uh, laid out very clearly for us in these passages. It says in both of these here that, that it's He who saved us. In other words, we don't save ourselves. Right? He is the one who does, does it from first to last. Salvation is God's work in our lives. Think about it this way. It's, it's like being trapped inside of a burning building. You know, it's like being trapped and, and, and having no way out on your own, being unable to escape, being able to do nothing to change your situation. You are trapped and unable to escape. And then out of nowhere, right, a, a fireman, someone comes in and makes a way for you to to escape, makes a way for you to be removed from that situation, to be removed from, from certain death and be brought to life. That's like what Christ has done for us. Right? We're trapped in that burning building. We can't do anything to save ourselves. And then Christ, through his death and resurrection, has made a way for us to escape. In a sense, that's, 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 in, in comparison, that's how we can understand. It's not what we do, right? It's what Christ has done for us. He has provided the way. I've heard people say that that how how uh, narrow-minded maybe is the right word of God that He would only provide one way for us to be saved that only through Christ can people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord and it's only through His death and resurrection that people are saved. How how narrow-minded of God to only provide one way out? But if you're trapped in that burning building, you're not going to say to that fireman who comes in, ah, "Really, I wish you would have done this a different way." Come on, like, there's gotta be another way. Let me out here. Like, help, help me. No, you're gonna be thankful. You're gonna be grateful that, that there is a way out. Right? How gracious of God to provide anyway. He didn't need to do it, right? It's unmerited. It's unconditional. He didn't, we didn't do anything to deserve it. It's simply by His love and His grace that He has, He has sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to be raised again. And so, so it's not narrow-minded of God, it's, it's gracious, it's loving of Him to have provided any way at all, since we didn't earn it and didn't deserve it for ourselves. It's He who saved us, not, not us saving ourselves. And He builds on that by saying, not, it's not because anything we have done, and I would say anything good or bad. Right? Sin has so affected us and, and affected every part of our lives that we could never live the holy, perfect life that God demands on our own. So there's no way we could, we could live up to that. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 talks about how we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We're dead. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We're in a state of spiritual death and then He has made us alive again through Christ. 
Again, not our works, but it's by what he has done for us. You see, that's why we need a savior, because we're spiritually dead. We need someone to save us. The law of God sets a standard for our lives that we couldn't possibly uphold. And it does, it does this, I believe, not to condemn us, not to, not to push us down, not to get us feeling bad about ourselves, but the law is there to convict us of our need for a savior. Paul says that in Scripture that if, that if the law wasn't there, he wouldn't know his need for, for the Lord. He wouldn't rec- be able to recognize his sin and therefore turn towards the Savior. The law helps us to see that we are, are sinners in need of a Savior and that God has graciously provided that one through Jesus Christ. It says here that God has done this because of his own purpose and grace. In Titus 3.5 it says because of his mercy. See, it's out of God's love for us that he decided to save us through Christ. Ephesians 1, 4 through 8 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have the redemption through the, his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he lavished on us. You see, Jesus dying on the cross for us was not plan B. God knew that sin would enter the world, that he would, and that he would eventually save the world through Jesus' death and resurrection. And just think of the amount of love that God puts on display for us through Christ. He knew that we would sin. He knew that we would rebel against him. He knew that creation would need saving, and yet he made us anyways. He did it with the knowledge that he would have to, to pay the price for us through his son. That's God's love on display for us. And what is his purpose? Why does he do this? Well, first of all, we see that it's to bring him glory. That our salvation, our, our knowledge of him, him saving us, isn't for our own glory. It brings God glory. Philippians 2, the great passage that talks about Christ humbling himself, becoming obedient even to death on a cross, ends with these ends with um, these words. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Christ as Savior, us coming to a knowledge of him brings God glory. But it also puts God's love on display. Romans 5, 6 through 8 talks about God's love is demonstrated through this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, our salvation, our, our, our God's saving act through Christ brings him glory, but it also puts his love on display. That we don't earn it, it's out of his great love for us that we are saved. These passages also tell us that this plan was set in place before the beginning of time, but it is now being revealed through Christ. You see, as I mentioned from the beginning, God planned to save us through Jesus. Like I said, it's not plan B. This is what God intended from the beginning. And the Old Testament foreshadows and points toward that redemption through Christ. Salvation salvation is being revealed, being made known through Christ. It's being brought to light. It's being finalized. It's being accomplished. And it was accomplished by death being destroyed by his death. 1 Corinthians 15 talks 
about how death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His death destroyed the power of death over our lives. But then his resurrection also brought life and immortality to light. It's what, it's what makes, opens the gate to, to eternal life with him. But we're not just saved to a, saved from our sin. We're saved to a holy life. It says that we're called to live a holy life through rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Eternal life begins now as we live out our salvation and calling in him. Right? It's not the idea that, that grace isn't just the idea that we are, we are forgiven so that we can just continue to sin, continue to do whatever we want. The idea is that God has so graciously shown us his love and his mercy. He has so freely given it to us that it should affect us not to keep sinning, not to just continue in the direction we've been going, but to turn towards him and begin to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. Second Corinthians 3.18 talks about how we all who are now have unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. With ever-increasing glory. It's a lifelong process as, as God continues to mold us and transform us into his image. But it's all by his grace and his doing. You see, grace is not something you do. It's something you receive. It's something that you grow into. Grace is something that you have to learn to live out. Now, as I preach, a lot of times I like to just give you like applications. I think that's a really helpful thing uh, to say in light of this, if this is true, now this is how we should live. This is what we should do. But when you're preaching a message about how, how we move from works to grace, it's not very good to end with, now this is how you should go do that, right? <laughs> kind of contradicts the point. See, grace is not something you do. It's what you, it's how you live. It's, if you think about it, God's grace is the unmerited, unconditional love of God. It's essential to our spiritual health. It's the foundation. It's what makes our spiritual maturity. It's what makes our relationship with Christ even possible. If we are the tree that's rooted in Christ, grace are the nutrients that sustains and provides everything we need for growth. It's grace that saves us, not ourselves. And it's grace that enables us to live a holy life in response to God's love. And so instead of wrapping up the sermon with a nice little application point about how you should do this in response to God's grace, I just want to uh, end with a, with a prayer for us, for myself and for all of us gathered here, uh, for those that are listening on the radio. Uh, it's a prayer from Ephesians chapter 1. And, and the prayer, the, the, the gist of it, is to encourage us to know the Lord more to grow in grace, to, to, to grow into that, be filled with the Spirit so that we can know Him more and, and love Him more and serve Him more. And as, as we wrap up, uh, this is my prayer for, for myself and for all of us as we learn to make that change in our lives and to grow from, from depending on our own works to depending on His grace. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you are called, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May we learn to grow in that grace as well. Let's stand and in closing sing about that amazing grace, number 202 in your blue hymnals. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.